This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. This back-to-school season, a big legal fight is brewing in Oklahoma. In June, a state board approved plans for St. Isidore of Seville Virtual Catholic School. It's named after the patron saint of the Internet. It would be the first publicly funded religious charter school in the country. What we're trying to achieve here is to deliver more options to kids, uh, largely in the rural areas of our state, that that are stuck with one option, and and most often those options are just inadequate. And so uh, we have a great need in that area. Also in in the special needs area where kids just need more specialized education. We've, We've been about this as a Catholic Church for 500 years. Uh, We want to continue to expand those options to those kids that need it. Creating a religious public charter school is not religious freedom. Forcing taxpayers to fund a religious school that, as they openly admit, will be a place of evangelicalization for one specific religion is not religious freedom. That's Reverend Lori Walkie, senior minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church. She's one of the plaintiffs suing to block the school from opening. Before that, you heard Brett Farley, executive director of the Catholic Conference of Oklahoma. How separate are church and state when it comes to public education? And what would approval for St. Isidore mean for schools around the country? After the break, we check in with Beth Wallace. She's a reporter with State Impact Oklahoma. That's a reporting project of NPR member stations. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Stay with us. We've got a lot to talk about. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics, with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana. With thousands of options under $20,000, plus customizable financing terms and down payments as low as $0 down, it's easy to find a car that fits your lifestyle. Visit Carvana.com or download the app today. Terms and conditions may apply. Let's get into the conversation. Beth, welcome to 1A. Thanks for having me. Why is this story gaining so much national attention? Well, I think it's certainly in the zeitgeist right now that this idea of religious liberty and school choice um, and where the government's obligation is to fund those things. So ultimately, in in this case, we have a question that boils down to, are charter schools public or private? Um, Are they state actors? And so Oklahoma's Charter School Act does say that, yes, Oklahoma charter schools are public schools. It says they must be non-sectarian and in their programs, admission policies, employment practices, um, and that charter schools can't be authorized by the state if they're affiliated with a religious institution. It's pretty cut and dry from Oklahoma's standpoint. However, we had an attorney general last year, our former attorney general, issue an opinion that said that Charter School Act wasn't constitutional. And so there, there, where that question comes in is, did Oklahoma get it right as far as classifying charter schools as state actors? The statewide virtual charter school board approved the application for the school in June in a three to two vote. Who sits on that board and how are they appointed? 
Um, it's five members, and they're appointed from different state officials. So um, appointed by the governor as well as um, the Speaker of the House and the Senate pro tem in Oklahoma. Um, so there is the chair, uh, Robert Franklin. He's uh, the longest serving member. He was a longtime special education teacher. Um, he now is an associate superintendent for one of the tech schools nearby. Um, and he has been pretty against the school um, pretty consistently throughout this whole process. Um, there's also some other members um, who are who are fairly new to, to the board. Um, Nellie Sanders, uh, she was appointed in February by our Senate pro tem. Um, she's, she's the vice president for philanthropy um, at a hospice care center for people with intellectual and physical disabilities. Um, Scott Strawn, he was appointed by our governor, um, and he's spent 29 years in education administration. Brian Bobeck, um, that one is, is the pretty controversial appointment because he was appointed just days before this vote happened. It was considered by critics to be a pretty political rushed appointment um, to make sure that there would be enough votes for this to happen on the board. Um, and he was that deciding vote uh, whenever that happened. And then there's one other, uh, William Pearson. He voted against it as well as the chair, Robert Franklin. Um, he's a retired Navy veteran and he uh, serves on the Ulaga town board um, and does more uh, local government kind of things. You said Brian Bobeck was considered a, a rushed appointment to this board. What's his background? He was a longtime BP lubricants uh, businessman. Um, he is long aligned with our governor um, on conservative culture war issues. He was also a, a former govern, governor appointee to our Oklahoma Board of Education, so not the charter school board, but the, the one that governs the regular public schools in Oklahoma. So the application for the school was submitted by the Archdiocese in Oklahoma, but what national groups are behind the effort to open this school? Um, Notre Dame has been, uh, the university has been really the driving force behind this. The Archdiocese uh, has been kind of the public face of it, but behind the scenes, um, the Notre Dame has been sort of the, the legal mastermind behind it. On July 31st, the American Civil Liberties Union filed a lawsuit to try to stop the school from opening. What did they say in that lawsuit, Beth? The suit was filed by lead counsel, um, Americans United for Separation of Church and State, and it was also joined by ACLU, Freedom from Religion Foundation, and the Education Law um, Center. And so what they're kind of contending is a few different things. First off, that question that I mentioned earlier, are charter schools public or private? They are saying they are absolutely public. And so if they are absolutely public, there are a lot of different things that St. Isidore might violate in terms of discrimination policies as well as potentially indoctrination. Um, St. Isidore in its application is very explicit that it's going to be evangelizing to students. Um, it, it doesn't mince words at all. It, it, it's going to be a, a very Catholic forward education. The curriculum will feature Catholic ideals and tenets. Um, so it's not at all proposing to be sort of um, a secular school that's run by Catholics. It's very much going to be a Catholic school. And so um, what, what the legal kind of uh, argument against it is, is that there's going to be um, indoctrination. Um, that's that's something that uh, they're, they're definitely worried about. Um, you know, in its application, it says that um, the school fully embraces the teachings of the Catholic Church. The, full, the school fully incorporates these into every aspect of the school. Um, it also will teach students that if they reject God's invitation, they will end up in hell. Um, and so there, there are certain things there that they feel like that students should not be subjected to in terms of indoctrination. Discrimination is also the other big argument here. Charter schools are required by our state 
state to have a signed and notarized statement from the school that guarantees access to education and equity for all eligible students. St. Isidore didn't, and instead they submitted something else. Um, They submitted their own notarized statement that said it would comply with anti-discrimination requirements to the extent required by law with priority given to the Catholic Church's understanding of itself and its rights and obligations pursuant to Catholic doctrine. The the school wants to, um, the school is saying that it will comply with these anti-discrimination laws only up into the point that it might conflict with Catholic teachings. Um, And so they also specifically go into sexual morality. Um, They go into, they go into uh, gender identity, sanctity of marriage, um, teachings on modesty. All of those things will be taught in the church um, and their anti-harassment and discrimination policies specifically list those things as exemptions for the, for the Catholic school. They don't have to worry about, you know, discriminating on these bases. Um, And it should be said that in Oklahoma, the only thing that you can discriminate on when you're a school as far as admitting students to your school is geography. That's it. You can't discriminate on whether or not their parents might, and and there's a clause in there that it might uh, actually extend to families as well of these students. You know, if parents are are gay or lesbian, you still have to let the student in. If, If a student has had an abortion, you still have to let the student in. That might not apply here, which is what these lawyers are really pointing out to be um, something that they're very concerned about. Well, the Oklahoma Virtual Charter School Board hired the Alliance for Defending Freedom. That's a conservative legal group to defend them. And they're behind many of the anti-LGBTQ legislation and lawsuits we've covered here on the show. After the state board approved the application for the school, Oklahoma's Republican Attorney General Gitner Drummond responded by saying, quote, this act has the state of Oklahoma dictating tax dollars to fund a religious organization, and it stands the Constitution on its head, end quote. The Republican Attorney General of the state is saying it's unconstitutional. So, Beth, there's supposed to be a separation of church and state here in the U.S. How likely is this school to open given the legal challenges it faces? That's a tough one. Um, you would think that maybe Oklahoma's Charter School Act is very cut and dry, and so that this would be a pretty quick case, but it does get sticky. So, for instance, in Oklahoma, there are programs here that give public dollars to private schools in the form of scholarships. Students with certain disabilities can attend a private school on a scholarship from the state. Um, and recently, there's been new school choice uh, legislation for a tax credit this last legislative session, and that program gives money to these schools indirectly by funneling it through those families going to the schools. Um, there was also a bill passed recently, this legislative session. Um, it was called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and it deems it a substantial burden to exclude any person or entity from participating in receiving government funds, benefits, programs, or exemptions based only on the religious character or the affiliation, the religious affiliation of that person. And so we have very conflicting laws right now. Um, we have some policies that do set that precedent for giving public dollars to private schools. Um, but then we also have our Charter School Act, which specifically prohibits that. So Beth, as this continues to play out, what are you watching for both on the legal front, but also how this could shape Oklahoma education moving forward? In Oklahoma, we have had um, a lot of uh, conversation about this idea of school choice and whether or not the government should be should be funding, um, you know, uh, institutions that might engage in discriminatory practices or that might, um, you know, have students um, c- go to prayer sessions, those sorts of things. It's a big question. And I think um, the plaintiffs in this case are very uncomfortable with the idea that their tax dollars would be going to fund what they see as, as very discriminatory practices, what they see as even oppressive practices. One of the plaintiffs um, herself 
herself has a wife and a child, um, and she is worried that, you know, her tax dollars will go to fund a school that could, you know, say no to her child um, being admitted there. And that precedent that that sets of, you know, having the state fund these potentially very discriminatory practices, it's something that I think a lot of these plaintiffs are worried about. Um, It's a big concern in the conversation. And so we'll kind of see where that takes us when we have this this kind of push and pull between the more school choice uh, centered audience and then the more public school centered audience. That's Beth Wallace. She's an education reporter with State Impact Oklahoma, a reporting collaboration between NPR member stations. Beth, thanks for speaking with us. Thanks so much. Coming up, are more publicly funded religious schools on the horizon? We'll dig into that question after this short break. Stay with us. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. This message comes from NPR sponsor Noom. Noom understands that not everyone is starting from the same place and takes that into account. With their first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, you can find a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This message comes from Wired. On Wired Politics Lab, you will be guided through the exciting, challenging, and sometimes entertaining vortex of internet extremism, conspiracies, and disinformation. Listen to Wired Politics Lab wherever you get your podcasts. If you heard a school named St. Isidore of Seville, you might assume it's Catholic and that it's private. But St. Isidore could become the country's first publicly funded faith-based charter. In June, a state board in Oklahoma approved the archdiocese application for St. Isidore. Here's Oklahoma State Superintendent Ryan Walters speaking to KOCO5 News earlier this year. They want morality in our schools. We believe that we have gone way too far, and it has, and has actually, we've done the opposite. We've actually impeded upon people's First Amendment rights to freedom of expression. And we've got a Catholic school here that, again, wants to have a better impact on more students. And that is a very valuable um, goal for the state to have. But parents, public education advocates, and religious leaders are already challenging the state's decision. Oklahoma's Constitution states, quote, no public money or property shall ever be appropriated, applied, donated, or used directly or indirectly for the use, benefit, or support of any sect, church, denomination, or system of religion. Last week, the Oklahoma Parent Legislative Action Committee filed a lawsuit against the state virtual school board, the state superintendent, and the charter school run by the Catholic Archdiocese in Oklahoma. Reverend Lori Walkie is the senior minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. It belongs to the United Church of Christ. She's also one of the Oklahomans trying to stop the new school from opening. You heard from her a bit at the top of the show. And she joins us now. Reverend Walkie, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Now, some people would assume that as a faith leader, you'd be in favor of this school opening, but you aren't. What are your objections? I joined this lawsuit because I am a pastor of some really remarkable teens and youth, some of whom are queer and non-binary, and I am the pastor of families who consist of two mamas and two daddies, and I am the pastor of seekers, doubters, believers, the born again, and those born just fine the first time. Religious schools have a track record of discriminating against students who do not ascribe to particular dogmas or 
doctrines or creeds. And all of us have heard stories of religious schools that involuntarily enroll students or reject them uh, outright for enrollment because they do not look or act or believe in ways that those particular traditions deem orthodox. So I think it would be clergy malpractice to not speak up at this time as religious schools try to masquerade as places that serve all students in the way our public schools actually do. We invited the Catholic Conference of Oklahoma to join the conversation. They declined our request, but Executive Director Brett Farley sent a statement saying, quote, News of a suit from these organizations comes as no surprise since they have indicated earlier in this process their intentions to litigate. We remain confident that the Oklahoma court will ultimately agree with the U.S. Supreme Court's opinion in favor of religious liberty, end quote. Uh, Reverend Walkie, as, as a faith leader, do you see this as an issue of religious liberty or something else? I do think it is a matter of religious liberty, but not in the same way um, that, that that the defendants do. I, if religious schools are allowed to take money away from public schools and further the agenda to defund and dismantle our public schools, families and students will be forced to practice someone else's religion in order to access education. So, Defending public education that is secular and quality and free is a matter of faith because it ensures access to education for all our students. You said parents would be forced to send their their children to a school that uh, would force them to learn a certain religion, but parents don't have to send their kids to this school. But if some parents want the option, why shouldn't they have that option? They do have the option. They already have the option to send their child to a religious school. That's, that's not the issue here. Um, what we're very concerned about is the siphoning away of public money for religious education. And you just can't use people's tax dollars to promote or establish religion. And that's we, what we think is happening here. Let's go to our inbox. We got this message from Richard who emails, I'm a parent in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My children are in Union Public School District. I am virulently opposed to Ryan Walters and his religious political agenda. The simple question to ask those in support of this school is, would you support a publicly funded madrasa or a school based on the teaching of Buddhists? And we should say again, Ryan Walters is the Oklahoma State Superintendent. Now, Oklahoma is one of the 10 most religious states in the U.S. That's according to a 2016 Pew Research survey. About 64% of Oklahoma adults said religion is very important to them. And the state is located in the so-called Bible Belt. Now, you're part of a church that's considered more socially liberal. But what conversations are you hearing in your congregation and, and among the parents in your community about this issue? You know, no one is denying that Oklahoma and our entire country is deeply religious and spiritual. The founding fathers understood that. That's why we see religious language sprinkled throughout our, our founding documents. But but they also understood the importance of protecting the country, and in this case, the state of Oklahoma, from religious extremism and fundamentalists. And that's why they put safeguards to protect freedom of conscience. So you're seeing and hearing some push, a lot of pushback from uh, the public and regular Oklahomans 
who are very concerned that they are, uh, are about to be forced to practice someone else's religion in order to access education. That's Reverend Lori Walkie. She's senior minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. It belongs to the United Church of Christ. She's one of 10 plaintiffs who filed a lawsuit to block the Catholic Church in Oklahoma from opening what would be the first publicly funded religious charter school in the country. Reverend Walkie, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. I want to bring two new voices into the conversation. Michael Moreland is a professor of law and religion at Villanova University. He believes the school should receive public funding. Professor Moreland, welcome to the program. Glad to be with you. And also joining us from Washington, D.C. is Dan Mack. He directs the program on freedom of religion and belief at the American Civil Liberties Union. They're part of the recent lawsuit to block state funding of St. Isidore. That's a Catholic virtual charter school that plans to open in Oklahoma. Dan, welcome to the program. Professor Moreland, why do you think this Catholic charter school receiving state funds is constitutional? Because the Supreme Court has very clearly stated that once the state opens up funding to private schools, uh, that it cannot deny funding for religious schools, and to do so is is sheer anti-religious discrimination. And the fact is that the Oklahoma charter schools, uh, they can label them public schools, but these are private corporations. There's a private for-profit corporation that operates a virtual charter school. Uh, There are uh, nonprofit corporations that are private corporations that operate charter schools and virtual charter schools in Oklahoma. And again, once you once the state has decided to do that, and the state could, of course, not not fund uh, private schools at all. It could have no charter schools, as a small handful of states do. But once the state decides to afford parents a choice and opens that choice to include private institutions, including privately operated charter schools. To deny funding then based purely on the fact that a school is religious is forbidden by the First Amendment, and the Supreme Court's very clear on that. Dan, I want to hear from you. You think this is an unconstitutional move by the state. Why? It's a bedrock principle of law in in our country generally and, and in the state of Oklahoma specifically that religious schools can't be public schools and public schools can't be religious. Uh, the, you know, the whole idea of a religious public school is... Uh, just completely contrary to how we understand uh, constitutional law and how we understand public education in this country. Uh, Professor Moreland, we haven't seen a taxpayer-funded religious school before now. So what's changed? There are lots of taxpayer-funded religious schools across the country uh, through voucher and tuition scholarship programs. Uh, So tax dollars flow to those schools. I I, want to make sure we don't conflate two things. So you're saying... When a state says, oh, we will give parents money and they can direct that money to the school that they want it to go to, you're, you're calling that publicly funded. But this would be right. a, a public school, which I think some education advocates would say, oh, that's a little different. But go ahead. Well, so for decades, uh, the Supreme Court has said that uh, you're right, that through vouchers or tuition scholarships or other kinds of funding mechanisms, taxpayer dollars, when given to parents to use to fund, to uh, go to a school of their choice, those those dollars can go to private schools, including religious schools. And that that's, that's pretty standard by now. You're right that the complicating factor here is that these are charter schools. But here again, the charter schools are a function of the parents' choice to send their kids to those schools. Their funding for 
formula is based on how many students are enrolled in the school. It's not as if the money will just go to the schools automatically. Uh, and so from that standpoint, I think that, the, that it's of a piece with other kinds of school choice programs that a lot of states are experimenting with. Again, Oklahoma has the choice about how they want to structure this. But once they've opened it up to private education as they have and as a lot of other states have, they can't then say no religious no religious schools can participate. And again, there are lots of this is I I take the point earlier that your caller made about separation of church and state, but that's simply not how the uh, not how the constitutional law has shaken out in this area. There's lots of ways religiously affiliated hospitals, social service agencies, and schools too that receive taxpayer funding on a neutral basis because of the way in which we understand how the Establishment Clause doesn't forbid the government from providing aid on a neutral basis to religious actors. Dan, I want to hear your assessment because what I hear from Professor Moreland there is that charter schools are falling under this broader umbrella of public schools, even though they are operating in a way that is like many private schools operated or they're being operated by private corporations. Is that your interpretation? No, not only is that not my interpretation, it's not the interpretation of Oklahoma law, the Oklahoma statutes, Oklahoma constitution. And um, there are other cases about this as well out there, which, all of which treat charter schools as what they are, public schools. That in, under Oklahoma law, uh, charter schools are required to do many things um, that place them squarely in the category of public schools, both in name and in law and in fact. Oklahoma charter schools are defined as public schools by statute, and, and they're defined as government bodies. They have the same privileges and responsibilities as traditional public schools, and they have to comply with a long list of legal requirements that govern traditional public schools. They get significant benefits from the state, just like other public schools, and they're required to do um, all the things that public schools are required to do. So anything you hear about what the Supreme Court has approved, they have never approved um, or required funding of what is essentially a government institution in this case. Now, these schools can continue to operate as private schools, and then they're placed in a separate category. But when they, when they walk into this door, they become public schools. And I just want to mention a recent case. There's a case out of uh, North Carolina where there was a charter school, um, and it has, uh, it's been challenged uh, for having a, a discriminatory rule for girls, a skirts-only rule, which the school said it adopted to promote chivalry because every girl is a, quote, fragile vessel. And the ACLU challenged that, and the school claimed uh, that it should be free to violate students' constitutional rights, um, rights that other types of public schools must respect. And last year, uh, a federal appellate court ruled for the girls and concluded that it was a uh, this charter school is a form of public school and that it had to follow the Constitution. This year, the U.S. Supreme Court was asked to take up that case, and they declined. So uh, right now, it's quite clear that, that what we're talking about are public schools. So all of those other cases that, that were mentioned or alluded to involve something else. They involve money to private institutions, and that's not what's going on in Oklahoma. We're discussing what could be the nation's first publicly funded religious charter school. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up 
eventually. And here at LifeKit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the LifeKit podcast from NPR. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I I just started doing research. But the truth is, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Let's get back to the discussion with this message from one of you. As a Catholic, I believe very strongly in the separation of church and state, as did our founding fathers when they created our country and its Bill of Rights. If we are to abide by the laws set down for our independence, there should be no blurring of the rules. Carol, thanks for that message. The First Amendment states Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Dan, what does that mean to you in the context of public education? Public education is one of the um, places where the separation of church and state, as guaranteed by the First Amendment, is most protected. I mean, the Supreme Court has emphasized many times that these separation concerns are at their greatest in the context of public schools. That's both because of the roles that schools play in society. Public schools are symbols of our democracy and the most, this is what the court has said, the most pervasive means of promoting our common destiny. And it's also because of the uh, influence that the government has in in the public school context and the impressionability of students and the susceptibility to, to coercive forces. So, so the court over the years has been very vigilant in protecting the constitutional rights of students to be free from uh, government favoritism when it comes to religion. Professor Moreland, ultimately, when it comes to public education, what role do you think religion should be allowed to play in public schools? Well, it depends what we mean by public schools. There are obviously 90% of American kids go to school district administered, government run public schools. And in those settings, the establishment clause, I agree with Dan to some extent here, the establishment clause means that the those kinds of government run public schools can't have uh, religious indoctrination or, or uh, in class prayer or whatnot. But there are a lot of other kinds of schools, and there are a lot of other kinds of ways we fund schools in America, and that includes charter schools, that includes private schools, which parents have a constitutional right to send their children to. And a lot of states, in response to their voters, have decided that they will open up funding programs for those alternatives to traditional district-run public schools. And again, once the government has decided to do that and partners with nonprofit or for-profit corporations who are not state actors for this purpose, who are not public entities, just by virtue of entering into a contract with the government to provide some kind of service, it doesn't turn a corporation for-profit or non-profit or a church into a public actor. And in those settings, when religion, when funding is flowing to those kinds of schools, including religious schools, 
I don't think the Establishment Clause poses any burden, or any obstacle or burden whatsoever. Dan, your response? Well, among other things, the, the charter schools themselves around the country agree that they are, in fact, public schools for constitutional purposes. The, the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools has, has come out very publicly against any um, incursion here, and, and they have said very clearly that, that, in their view, charter schools were conceived of and have always been innovative public schools. And, you know, they have, they have mentioned on numerous occasions, and, and other allies as well have said this, that the, that innovative spirit, they said, does, doesn't include a license to violate the constitutional rights of charter school students. I mean, Professor Moreland, there's nothing preventing the archdiocese from opening a virtual Catholic school. Why are they insisting that it happens with state funding? Uh, because Oklahoma has decided to allow nonprofit and for-profit corporations to participate in its charter school program and 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 help relieve the burden that otherwise would would be borne by parents who'd have to pay tuition. This is a neutrally provided public benefit that Oklahoma has decided to accord to these kinds of schools. And religious participants should be on an equal footing with any other kind of participant when uh, seeking to, to benefit from it. Well, Oklahoma, Oklahoma's Charter School Act states that charter schools, quote, should be non-sectarian and may not be affiliated with a non-public sectarian school or religious institution. So the, the charter rules are are pretty clear. Well, I think those kinds of requirements, and this was uh, this was the opinion of the Oklahoma Attorney General last year, the prior Attorney General, uh, and we'll, we'll see if this ends up in, uh, how this case ends up if it goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, but I think those kinds of prohibitions on religious education and these kinds of benefit programs are extremely constitutionally suspect now in light of uh, now several Supreme Court cases that have said that those kinds of provisions in state law are anti-religious discrimination forbidden by the First Amendment. Well, you mentioned the former attorney general. Let's hear from its current uh, attorney general. Uh, this is Gettner Drummond. He's also a Republican. We've taken a step down a slippery slope that will result someday in state-funded satanic schools, state-funded Sharia schools. And this is not what Oklahomans, nor our Constitution, nor the United States Constitution permits. The taxpayer lose both ways. And I, I think, by and large, Oklahoma is a Christian oriented state and Catholics are Christian uh, denomination. And I think that's all lovely. Uh, That's not the issue. The issue is, do we preserve the integrity of our laws for future generations? So again, that's Oklahoma's current Attorney General, Republican Gittner Drummond. Dan, how do you view this case as a slippery slope? Uh, This is is an effort to open the door to much more um, religion in public schools. And, and that is, I think, the goal of many of the proponents here is, is exactly that. And it also undermines the public school system by diverting um, state funds. And, and schools in Oklahoma are already um, woefully underfunded. I think, you know, stepping back, the, this, is, this is something that we should think about what, what the founders of this country thought, not just the founders of Oklahoma. The, you know, the, the founders of this nation made it clear that when it, the government props up religion with state money, it violates the religious freedom of taxpayers who don't want to support faiths that aren't their own. But it also 
harms religion itself by threatening the independence of religious organizations. You know, one, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson believe that once religious organizations start depending on government handouts, there's a danger that they'll tailor their religious beliefs to align with whoever's controlling the purse strings. And I think when we're talking about public schools, that is, it has been a major battleground for years. The, the proponents of this school have made um, very, uh, take, taken few steps to hide the fact that they want this to, to be something expanded nationally. And that's what they're going for nationally, not just for charter schools, but I think this is to open the door just to, to get state-sponsored religion and religious favoritism in our public schools. The Supreme Court recently ruled that a coach can say a Christian prayer at a public school football game. In another 2021 case out of Maine, the court ruled that the state could not exclude private religious schools from receiving public funding only on the basis of religion. And we've seen notable cases brought with the intention of getting decisions from this conservative majority court. Is that the goal here, Professor Moreland? I think the goal here is to provide uh, quality education to poor kids and kids in rural areas and on Indian reservations in Oklahoma who want access to this kind of education. Uh, that's the objective. Uh, now, you're right, there are different legal issues involved. We've gone over several of them about whether this is a public or a private entity. I think it's a private entity because there are different kinds of uh, corporations involved in this. Um, as to the issue, though, of... Um, you know, about discrimination that, that you were just talking to Dan about, you know, some of this is a little premature because while the virtual tr- uh, charter s- school board has authorized St. Isidore's, uh, the, the, they haven't entered into a contract yet. Uh, all that St. Isidore's has said is that to the extent that provisions of Oklahoma law would conflict with their right as a Catholic institution to, for example, uh, hire certain teachers. Uh, they have constitutionally protected rights uh, under the First Amendment with regard to the um, the hiring of, 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 of certain kinds of teachers, especially with, that perform significant religious functions within the institution. Uh, but otherwise, they'll be subject to all the usual accreditation, curricular, financial reporting, and other kinds of requirements uh, under the Oklahoma uh, Charter Statute. Dan, I'll give you the last word. I'd like to know whether you think this move right now is an effort to to get the question before this conservative majority court? I think it is. I don't think the court will take it. First of all, we filed only in Oklahoma and only under Oklahoma state law. And second, uh, this Supreme Court, though um, it is quite extreme on these religion issues, I don't think uh, would want to touch this with the 10-foot pole. This is, this is a bridge too far even for this court. Well, we'll continue to watch this story as it plays out. That's Dan Mack. He directs the program on freedom of religion and belief at the American Civil Liberties Union. The ACLU is part of the recent lawsuit to block state funding of St. Isidore, a Catholic virtual charter school planned in Oklahoma. Also with us, Michael Moreland. He's a professor of law and religion at Villanova University. Thanks to you both for joining us. Today's producer was Anna Casey. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. 
your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services custom-tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top-10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at BetterHelp.com NPR to get 10% off your first month. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.